You are listening to episode 25 of the Tennis Files podcast, the 2016 City Open Day 2 analysis with Malumba from Tennis Column. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast, guys and gals. This is Mirban, and um, I'm bringing you an episode today that I recorded uh, pretty late at night, so... The deal is that I am part of the media of the uh, 2016 City Open for the second year, and uh, I made a great friend in Malumba from Tennis Column, which you can find at tennis-column.blogspot.com, and he has an uh, just amazing knowledge of, you know, basically all the players in the field because he very closely follows and writes about uh, professional tennis players and he just loves the game and uh, what the pro tour on both the women's and men's sides offer. And so, uh, you know, right after a huge hailstorm, which I had to drive um, away from uh, back into my crib, my house, um, well, my place, um, you know, we, we decided to talk about the tournament, um, and so it's uh, the second day of the main draw, Tuesday, well, really Wednesday morning now. So we just did a recap of, um, you know, the qualifier, uh, the qualifying tournament, and then uh, main draw Monday, and then main draw uh, yesterday, you know, Tuesday. And uh, just a lot of great insightful analysis from Malumba. Uh, it's pretty late at night, so I, I mean, I apologize if anything... I don't know, it was weird, which uh, there shouldn't be anything weird. And also there are actually, I think, a couple like, you know, one or two second, uh, you know, glitches. I mean, it's pretty, uh, this should be a non-issue, but I apologize in advance for those. And it's just, you know, it was uh, quite a big storm. And, um, you know, these things do happen sometimes because we were speaking over Skype. And, um, you know, I do not have time to you know, edit those out because it's just uh, ridiculously busy. I go to my full-time job. And then after that, I go uh, straight to the tournament and do the interviews and all that stuff and press conferences. And then I pretty much have like no time to uh, do anything else, but it's a lot of fun. Um, You know, I also eat, breathe and sleep tennis. I don't know if I said that right, but anyway, uh, enough of this dribble. Um, uh, here is the, um, discussion and analysis of the, uh, action up to day two of the main draw with Malumba from Tennis Column. Enjoy. Hey everybody, this is Mirabon from Tennis Files, and, uh, we're here with Malumba, who is the founder of the Tennis Column blog. Uh, he has written some awesome articles on, uh, you know, the men's and women's game. And I met Malumba last year at the City Open, uh, which was my first year 
being part of the media for Tennis Files. And uh, he was just a, a great and welcoming guy and really helped me learn the ropes of uh, how everything worked out. And, um, you know, we definitely bonded over the uh, nine days or so of the tournament. And uh, Malumba, I just really want to welcome you to the podcast. And thanks so much for speaking with me today. No, it's it's my pleasure. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I, I got to say, likewise, it was last year was my first year in the media as well at City Open. So um, I think we learned a lot together. And um, you know, I'm I'm really impressed with the way you've you've gone about uh, putting together your your the tennis files and your podcasts and your interviews. And you're just doing a great job. You're really banging it out. So uh, cheers to you. Thanks, Malumia. Cheers to you too. And you know, I I. I first knew that um, you were just such a knowledgeable guy because I remember uh, somebody from the media, I don't know which organization, I think they asked you or our table something to the effect of, uh, you know, like who won the City Open uh, a certain year. And then you, you, I think you rattled off like the, the like 10 winners in a row, like, you know, <laughs> the past 10 years. And I was like, wow, this guy <laughs> knows his stuff. You know, he knows a lot more than me uh, about the pro game. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, once the podcast started, I knew you'd be a great guest sometime. So here we are. And I also just want to thank you for speaking with me. Um, you know, we both actually left the uh, City Open, uh, 2016 City Open, um, maybe like an hour ago or so, roughly. Yeah. And, and yeah. And so like now it's 1140 at night. And after, you know, watching matches and reporting on it for uh, seven hours, we're back here just... Uh, you know, doing a little podcast for you guys. So, Lumba, uh, day four of the City Open. Uh, just talk about some of your, uh, you know, most memorable impressions so far from the tournament. Well, I think uh, on the, uh, we could start with the women's side. I mean, I, I was really impressed with Camila Georgie's performance today. I just, uh, I, I, I just missed the end of the match when I got there, but I was able to catch on uh, Tennis Channel Everywhere, the uh, the broadcast of the match from earlier. And I have to say, she's she's been very impressive. I, 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 I'm not sure when she came to the facility, but she's been, you know, she had a great match against Jeannie Bouchard today, and uh, she seems to be hitting the ball real clean. Now, sometimes that's she's a bit of a fool's gold because she'll play great one day, and then the next day she's, you know, as likely to hit it, you know, the back fence as she is the baseline. So, um, but she she's looking pretty strong. Um, uh, Sabine Lazicki seemed to have a pretty good, uh, a pretty good easy time of it today as well. She's a bit of a sleeper, you know, she's probably got one of the biggest serves in all of women's tennis and, uh, she's here this week. So, um, you know, if you're here and you get a chance to see her, it's, it's, it is a monster serve. Uh, there's no, there's no doubt about that. Um, so, and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the second round matchup, you know, um, Sam Stozer, between Sam Stozer and uh, Caroline Wozniacki, I think that's going to be a really good one. Um, you know, two really great players, one former number one, uh, another one is a uh, former U.S. Open champion. And um, I think both of them, you know, especially for Wozniacki coming into this uh, unseated, uh, it's it's kind of amazing to think that she's unseated at the City Open, um, but that she, she is where she is. And I, I saw her working out with her father on Friday when I picked up my press pass. And I think she's really looking for this to be the start of a really good summer for her. So uh, that should be an interesting test for her. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, Wozniak can come back to, you know, to some sort of um, equivalent of what she where she was before. Uh, I saw Sam Stozer um, practicing on the courts a couple of days ago, and she, 
I just remember her hitting just some amazingly placed slice serves out wide. And she is just such an athlete and um, really the uh, epitome of a great competitor. Um, and as, as for me, I, you know, I, I tend to kind of get impressed by the people I, I talk to sometimes as far as interviewing. But I, James Duckworth, uh, interesting guy. Yeah. Um, he had to win two matches in qualifying. Uh, I talked to him on Saturday and then on Monday he, you know, he played pretty well. He, he, he's an aggressive player. He has a huge serve. He mentioned that, uh, the serve is the most, most important part of the game. And, um, he was just blasting shots and serves past, uh, Tim Smizek. I'm not sure if I uh, pronounced that correctly. And, yeah. um, he just kind of dismantled him. So we'll see how he does. Um, I, I, I did watch also, um, Dolgopalov today against um, uh, Thompson, I believe, and that was a good three setter. Yep. And um, I, yeah, it was. Um, I, I actually thought Thompson uh, was going to come back at the end there, but Dolgopalov uh, stayed uh, up to par. And um, Dimitrov today, unfortunately, just couldn't really get anything going um, in his match. But, um, yeah, I mean, do you have any other impressions about those guys? Well, I'll tell you what. There's an interesting little uh, tidbit there between Dim- Dimitrov and uh, uh, Daniel Evans, the, the, the British fellow who um, – hmm. British Davis Cupper who beat him this afternoon. When I came to get my press pass, as I always do, I always take a walk around the grounds just to see who's practicing because that's, that's – for me is part of the big joy of coming to – Coming to the you know professional tournaments is to watch them practice, mm-hmm. and uh, Dimitrov and uh, and uh, Daniel Evans practiced with each other on Friday afternoon, early Friday afternoon. Uh, they hit for about an hour, and you know Dimitrov was very talkative in the in the in the practice, and he was basically uh, explaining to him all the uh, all the difficulties that he'd had playing against Steve Johnson here last year, wow. and he talked about some, the trouble he had with uh, Johnson's kick serve. On the grandstand, because apparently the grandstand, according to some of the players, is a bit more, it takes more of the bite um, uh, as far as Thompson is concerned, especially on the kick surf in the ad, in the ad courts. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting that he was kind of revealing this. Of course, they didn't know that they were going to be in the, you know, paired to play each other in the second round. Uh, but Evans is, is really, actually, he's playing quite well. Um, he, he had a great result against Benjamin Becker. I think he beat him 2-1. And, you know, Becker had to come through two rounds of qualifying, so I just assumed that he was kind of tired. I didn't see much of the match. But it just looked like, you know, Evans was just playing solid, you know, ripping a couple of nuclear forehands that he's wont to do from time to time. But he just seemed to carry on from there uh, against Dimitrov. He broke him in the first game. Um, And Dimitrov got the break back towards the end. uh, I think it was at uh, 5-4. But then he gave it right back again. And, and Evans is really playing well. He's a guy that can definitely um, – he's also a very streaky player. Um, he's not a guy who's going to – you know, any time the rallies went over like, you know, uh, say 10 shots, Dimitrov definitely had the, the, the upper hand. But Evans has that ability to sort of inject pace into the rally at any time, and that, that was really the difference today. I mean, most of the points were staying under, you know, I would say under 10 shots. Um, anytime it got over 10 shots, Dimitrov was getting into the points. He's a rhythm player and he kind of needs that, but Evans just didn't give, give him any rhythm today. So I was really impressed with Evans. Um, as far as Dimitrov is concerned, I think he's going to have some, some, some thinking to do, uh, because this is now a couple of years now where he's basically been on the, on the down, 
uh, on the downturn for a couple of years after really having a great 2014. Mm. And um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he does from here. He's, he doesn't have a coach. Uh, he's sort of taking care of all the things that coaches would be taking care of. And he's got an assistant working with him. But he, he's got some things to work out because the, the talent is there. The ability is there. He's still got great hands, very athletic. But he's lost some bite on some of his strokes. And I think he needs a technician to kind of look at a couple of shots. I would say particularly his serve uh, and, uh, and his, uh, his forehand um, when he's trying to um, – particularly that, that inside in forehand that he needs because he likes to run around his backhand. Uh, those two shots are kind of uh, have lost their bite, and I think that's that's a big part of his game. And I just I just think he really needs someone that can come in and look at his game technically. Yeah, and yeah. I um, I'm sorry, Malumba, were you saying something else? Nope. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, you know, Dimitrov uh, career high as you mentioned, uh, 2014 number eight in the world, and now he's at 40. Um, you know, uh, definitely, it always helps to have a coach and mentor you know somebody to really look at your game because it's always tough as a player to really assess your game neutrally um it's always um helpful to have somebody else point out uh things that you can work on and uh i also uh was very surprised uh by pospisil yesterday i mean i it was disappointing to watch you know it just seemed like he couldn't really get a ball in the court he was missing every couple shots um against uh Sugita. um and so i got a quick one-on-one with pospisil and a funny story is um you know the atp reps do a wonderful job there and i i do appreciate them protecting the players especially the ones who uh lose because you know they don't want to stick around and answer 20 questions but um you know my camera guy was uh recording me and then i asked um pospisil one question and then I noticed the ATP rep uh, like hold up a finger or two, and then I wasn't sure exactly what he meant. Uh, <laughs> I, I I should have clearly known. I mean, I, I know how to count, but right. uh, you know. And then after I asked one question, he had one finger up, and I asked you know that question. And then I started to ask another question. And then he just like he waved his hand like cut cut, you know. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, Pospisil just said like you know I I don't know what to say. Like I just played awful out there and. Um, you know, obviously his form after um, being in the top 30 to 40-ish for three years straight, it uh, seems to be kind of down. He's around 90 right now. Um, I don't know if you got to watch that match, Malumba. I didn't get to watch that match, but uh, I, I think it's interesting. You know, Pospisil is another guy who had kind of a breakout season a couple of years ago. He was in the final here against uh, Milos Raonic, who right. has just gone from strength to strength. I mean... Um, ever since, but um, yeah, Pospisil is another guy with you know, he's actually he's 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 a surprisingly athletic guy for his for his size. I mean, he's mm-hmm. quite tall, um, and, but he moves really well, and I, I I I I'm impressed with his game. But I think he's had a, some injury troubles uh, over the last year or so, and so his game has sort of gone away from him. And, you know, it's, he, he is a player who I think was known maybe more, a little bit more for his doubles for a while there yeah. uh, after winning Wimbledon with Jack Sock. But I, I really thought that he was going to make more of a push uh, in his singles game. So um, he's another guy who's just got, you know, stuff to think about. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, all the best to him, obviously. Uh, 
Another guy who I who was mentioned by um, Thomas Burditch in the press conference today, um, oh. who actually he yeah he withdrew. I guess we'll get into that in a bit. Yes, um, for sure. But he uh, Burditch mentioned that he was impressed by Denis Sh- Shapovalov, I believe, from Canada. Right, yeah. who uh, won uh, Junior Wimbledon, and I was just wondering if you have any thoughts on on him, or if you got to watch him at all, because I didn't really get to. You know, I've only seen him practice a couple of times, um, and uh, it's 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 kind of hard to tell from a practice session. I mean, you know, going back to Dimitrov and Evans, you know, Dimitrov was like the far better player in their practice session. They played a practice uh, tie break, and they were doing some aggressive grills, and then. He goes goes out in the match and lays an egg. So, but you know, he looks he looks. Yeah, he's a player with a lot of potential. A, a lot of young, you know, up and coming players, and he's definitely one. Kind of, uh, kind of an interesting sort of revival of Canadian tennis um, that he's a part of there. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a player to watch. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, um, I was uh, a bit disappointed by, uh, and these are local guys. That's why, um, yes. you know, TFO and Kudla. Yeah. I mean, Kudla. They mentioned um, he, so he's zero six now at the City Open, and then yeah. Francis. I mean, you know, I, obviously he's he's played like uh, tough players, uh, and he's a young guy as well. But he yeah. lost yesterday, and um, uh, you know, just if you could comment on uh, you know the potential of these guys in your eyes. Sure. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you put them together, not only because they're local, but they're also playing doubles together. But right. uh, in this tournament, they got a wild card into the doubles. Uh, Kudla, a very interesting story. A guy born in the Ukraine, came here when he was a year old, uh, has been playing tennis since he was very young. He's a guy who made that sort of Holden Caulfield uh, catcher on the ride trek by the subway from Arlington to the tennis. Uh, really committed guy. Uh, he was on a film about 10 years ago called Who's Next? It was a documentary about uh, Amer- young American tennis players. And he was in that film with Jack Sock as a doubles uh, partner, practice partner for the Davis Cup. Uh, and they went over to the Davis Cup uh, and, and, and worked out with the Bryan brothers and got some, in some trouble with the Bryan brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, long story short, uh, Kudla is a guy who is, is – he's really a very committed player, a very um, – you know, a very serious guy. Um, but I think he's also missing some, 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 he's missing that little, that little something. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the advantage of a, of a kill shot, a big serve, a big forehand. He's just very solid. And I think, I don't think he's a good enough athlete in terms of retrieval and, you know, to be able to get away with not having a really good kill shot. Uh, he's not, and uh, he's he's not he's not quite clever or consistent enough, like say a Brian Baker, who can you know he he doesn't have a kill shot either, but he's very effective. Um, so I think Kudla, he I, I hate to say it, but he's actually zero and seven now, including yesterday's match in singles and doubles at the City Open. Uh-huh. I, I I think his window may have closed, uh, and that was a pretty weak performance, especially in the second set against Millman yesterday. I was I was also disappointed. Um, TFO, on the other hand, I have to say. He played a guy that I did write a piece about in my blog, uh, Adrian Monarino. He's a French guy. He probably weighs about a buck thirty-five, sopping wet. And this <laughs> guy is, you know, he's he's six feet tall, but he's real thin. But he's got some of the best hands in tennis. Um, you know, he sh- he literally shoots from the hip. I mean, you look at his forehand; it's produced. 
It's probably the most compact forehand in the game. And he's an excellent player. He's got great touch. He's got great feel. Uh, he had a good match against Djokovic this summer. He was a finalist in Colombia last year where he lost to Bernard Tomic, another player with great hands. So TFO's loss to Adrian Manorino, I think, is is more – that's to be expected. He's a very experienced player uh, in his late 20s, and TFO is still a young guy. Uh, but I was impressed with his competitiveness because he – you know, that that is a good player to to take to a tiebreak in 7-5. Those were two hard-fought sets. And I think he, I think he has a lot of upside. And and I should point out also that when uh, in the uh, press conference yesterday with Alexander Zverev, um, he was asked who of the up and coming young American contemporaries uh, most impressed you because there's so many here at the City Open. He pointed out Francis Tiafo. He said he liked, he was impressed by the way he goes for shots and you know how aggressive he plays and how committed he is to you know to basically putting the result on his racket, which is pretty interesting coming from a guy who is clearly making a breakthrough. And um, so I think TFO has a lot of upside. Um, you know, he'll, he'll need to work on his serve. I don't know if you've seen his serve. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a very strangely produced mm-hmm. serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no reason why a kid that strong and athletic shouldn't have a better serve. Uh, but he, he's, he's definitely... I remember I saw him play a couple of years ago against I think I can't I think his name is Evgeny Donskoy mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yep. He was hitting so many 100 per mile 100 mile per hour forehands. It stopped being impressive towards the end of the match because he was doing it over and over and over again. The kid is just a power unit. He's a human power unit. And I think if he can hone some of that and combine that with some some variety on 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 maybe on the backhand side Maybe come to net a little bit more, make the court a little bit smaller. Uh, he has a lot of upside. So, and I think he had a good performance, even though he lost his first match. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Um, yeah, I may be impartial just because. Well, first off, again, local. Second off, um, his former coach uh, Misha Kuznetsov. Uh, he actually played on the same team as I did in college at UMBC. Which oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, he was a senior, and I was a freshman. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think he has enormous upside. Um, I think um, obviously Zverev. Everyone is looking at Zverev as being a guy who's up and coming. I think there's been a lot of talk about Taylor Fritz. The the thing that concerns me about some of these American players, these new young American players, is that they're having great results in the juniors, which is already a step in the right direction. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not convinced that Taylor Fritz has the movement and the variety to you know, to really be competitive as he gets older and as the players around him get, you know, stronger and faster as well. Because you look at the trend of the best players in the world these days. I mean, it's, the, you know, the, the two things those players have in common, that they're outstanding movers and they have great returns of serve. They don't all have great serves. They don't have, all have great second serves, but they're outstanding movers and great returners of serve. I don't really see that in uh, some of the, you know, some of the Americans that, you know, have been making some noise lately. And I hope that, you know, that they can develop that those parts of their games. Uh, but, you know, movement, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's very much, it's an innate thing that can be built on. Uh, I, I don't see that much of it from Taylor Fritz. So I think he might be a player that has an upper limit because of just because of the lack of movement. Interesting. So, 
so it seems like Kula doesn't have the two, you know, two out of the, at least two of the elements you mentioned. Uh, right. You think TFO probably has the movement and not really the serve, but uh, I mean, he has like a booming forehand at least. He's He's got an unbelievable forehand, yeah. Right. And you know, one thing is interesting to me, uh, obviously the forehand works, but that in addition to his serve, it also does look unorthodox. And it's funny because they mentioned that uh, they being his coaches that they fixed, uh, you know, they worked on his forehand for yeah. six, seven months and fixed it. Um, I mean, I guess it's working for him, but it just, you know, seems a little, uh, you know, not too traditional, not smooth. So um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the technique or if you just kind of. Yeah, it's, it's definitely I, I agree with you. It's it's very it's 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 an awkward looking forehand. The, to begin with, mm-hmm. um, it, it is a very modern forehand in the sense that if, if you were looking at him from the prof, uh, from behind or from in front, uh, you, you wouldn't see the racket head go anywhere near, you know, the other essentially the other side of his body. So he very definitely keeps that racket head on the right side of his body as he's producing that stroke. That's a very modern stroke that creates a lot of whip. You know, the, the racket head, you, 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 you generate tremendous racket head speed by forcing it to essentially catch up with the hands as it comes through the point of contact. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he's really got that down quite pat, I have to say. Um, and, I, and, I, and I've seen the evolution of that forehand. Actually, if you look at his junior uh, uh, highlights from about four years ago, mm-hmm. um, that, that forehand was a lot more elaborate. And so I think I can see why they're trying to get it down to be more compact. Uh, you know, fewer things that can go wrong with it, easier for him to stay on the baseline. And I think that's where his game will definitely improve as, as he stays closer and closer to the baseline. Because, you know, the uh, juniors who are really quick, they have a tendency to rely on their movement. Uh, guys like Borna Chorich, they, they have a tendency to get a little bit far behind the baseline and they sort of blunt the impact of their own strokes in doing so. But I think TFO, as he as he develops his strokes a little bit more, and 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 I would say I'd like to see him develop a little bit more of a slice on the backhand, just to force players to hit up into his forehand. Mm-hmm. I, I think he can be really, really effective. That's some great analysis, uh, Malumba. It's just awesome to hear you, you know, talk uh, so deeply about all these players. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and so one guy that you put on my radar, which I was, you know, uh, slightly, I guess, sad that he didn't do too well was Victor Estrella Burgos. From, That's right. Yes. From the Dominican Republic. So, he, right. you know, he looks like a great guy. And, uh, I heard that he's just wonderful to talk to and he's, uh, what, 36 right now or something. Like I that? think so. Yeah. I think, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's, you know, he's having the best years of his career, um, you know, the past few years, um, but, uh, you know, he, he, it seems like he just got, um, you know, beat up pretty bad by Thompson and not sure if you got to catch any of that or if you have any thoughts on, on that. I didn't have, I didn't catch that match. I did do a little bit of research on Thompson. Um, you know, he, another, yet another Australian in the draw. I think there's four or five of them this yeah. year. That's quite a lot actually. Yeah. Uh, probably second only to the Americans in the draw, but, um, uh, Thompson is a player who's had some success on the challenger circuit. He's he's worked hard and had some good results this year. So um, I, I was though surprised to see that Australia uh, uh, Burgos didn't do a little bit better. Um, I, I said in the piece that I that I wrote in the preview, I, I sort of did a, a draw analysis um, uh, on, on my blog, 
And um, one of the matchups was Thompson and Estrella Burgos. And I said, you know, Estrella Burgos is a guy, he's like Ken Rosewell, you know. He, <laughs> he, he's never seen a backhand he didn't want to slice, you know. Um, <laughs> and I, and, and, and it's, it's actually a really good combination because when you think about it, that slice backhand, it, it doesn't appear particularly effective, but that's only from the perspective of, you know, pushing the player back. But what it forces his opponents to do is to hit up into the next stroke. So if they hit it anywhere near that monster, because he's got a pretty good big forehand when he winds up mm-hmm. on it, um, and he's very quick. So, but I think that there's a limit to how much you can do that on the on the men's side, especially. Um, you know, at some point you do have to come over the backhand, and I think he has just has that limitation where, um, you know, the good players are able to find a way to keep it away from his forehand, uh, even off the, that slice backhand. And so, you know, but you know, he's. He's going to be 36 in a week, I think, mm. so, or a couple of weeks. So it's kind of late in the game to be developing a Thompson backhand. But um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a fun player to watch, I have to say. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I, 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 too, was disappointed that I didn't have a chance to see him after going out against Thompson this year. Yeah, yeah, same here. And uh, apparently he came back today, maybe in the morning, to, uh, to actually do an interview or two. Um, that's what I heard, which is pretty cool, I guess, even though he was eliminated. That is cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. Who else do we have? Um, let's see. Let's see. Well, unfortunately, it seems like, uh, well, it's, it's not that unfortunate for USA Tennis, but Sam Groth, he uh, he got, uh, he was defeated by Brian Baker, who has a protected ranking. Right. Um, so it is nice to see Brian, um, you know, back in the mix and all that. Um, And so he has been uh, back on the tour for how long since his injury? Do you know? I think, uh, I think he just started again this year. So, I mean, he, I think he basically lost all of 2015 to that knee injury. Hmm. And and so, I'm sorry. And so like what uh, protected ranking are they giving him? Do you know around what, uh, what are they keeping him at? Uh, but, you know, it's that's one of those things where, you know, I understand why they do it. And in the case of a player like uh, Brian Baker, you know, first of all, the guy's story is just unbelievable. And um, he's a contemporary of, you know, Joe Willisonga and uh, Gal Monfils and Marcos Bagdades. I mean, if you go back and look at junior results from 2003, 2002, 2003, you'll see him up there as one of the best Junior is certainly one of the best American juniors and one of the best juniors in the world. And then he just sort of fell off the off the map there as a result of injuries and sort of falling out of love with the game. And then for him to come back the way he did two years ago or three years ago was just tremendous. And the thing that I love about Baker is, you know, I, I watched him. I watched a lot of that match with Sam Groth today. And Sam Groth is a player I, I, I enjoy watching for a lot of reasons. But I did a piece on him called The Return of the Mesomorph. He's one of the few athletes in tennis you can easily imagine playing another you know demanding sport uh professionally like uh as as you probably uh know uh sam groth also took a couple years off from tennis you know he got depressed uh, after divorcing his wife and everything mm-hmm. who happens to be at this tournament by the way jarmila wolf oh, used to be jarmila groth <laughs> that, that must be an interesting conversation in the hallways but um anyway uh, Groth is a guy who has just a monster serve. He's very strong. He's very athletic. Um, but 
Baker has this tremendous ability to his, he's got really quick hands, uh, both on the forehand and the backhand side. And in with those quick hands, he's able to blunt the strength of some of the, you know, most of the players that he's going to face. So he himself has a really good serve and then he's able to neutralize the strength of other players serves, which he's going to need because he's going to face Karlovich tomorrow. And I just love the way he works through points. He's a very cerebral player. He does not have a kill shot. He's got a great serve. He ne- he rarely hits it over 120, but he's extremely accurate. And it's also the from his uh, his the toss on his serve. There's not a lot of variability on the location of the toss, so people can't read his serve. Um, Groth had a harder time returning his serve than he did returning Groth's serve. Mm-hmm. So I, I really really like watching Brian Baker play. And for a guy like that, you know, you're kind of you're happy that he has a, the protected ranking, you know, like Tommy Haas, if and when he ever comes back, you know, guys like that, you know, that add something different to the game. It's great to have them, you know, to uh, to, you know, to give them maybe a leg up on coming back after uh, a terrible injury. And um, I, I think he's a guy who could who could do well. Um, you know, you, last year, you know, Kay Nishikori beat three of the biggest serves in, in tennis in succession, in Groth, uh, Chilich, and Isner. So, you know, there's a model there, and uh, he could certainly do it too because he, he also has really quick quick hands and a very good return of serve. So, you know, if he can get through Karlovich, who knows what will happen. Yeah, no, for sure. And so the uh, connection cut off for like two, like half a second when I, when I asked about the protected ranking number and I, I i didn't catch if you mentioned the number or not right so i think the protected his protected ranking right now i, I want to say 163 okay 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 so you know obviously not playing a year he should be in the thousands yeah. but that's helping him a lot yeah um yes. and but i i think also to be fair to him this is the summer u.s uh, circuit, mm-hmm. and I'm quite certain that he would be getting a lot of wild cards anyway, even if that weren't in place. Um, but hats off to him. I mean, I, I hope he takes advantage of it because we need players like him in tennis. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, we certainly do. It's just a very resilient player that keeps coming back and uh, doing well. It seems like a great guy as well. Um, what one other um, big disappointment, unfortunately for her, um, you know, uh, champion last year, Sloane Stevens, um, yeah. and just lost two and one to uh, Risa Ozaki from Japan. Yes, and uh, I mean, I was uh, on the other courts at the time, uh, one of them, anyway. And just what what happened there? 
Yeah, so I did catch a lot of that match. Uh, first of all, to be fair to Ozaki, she has won four ITF titles, which is the women's equivalent of challengers, right? So right. she's not, you know, she and she's a young player. She's, I think she's 22. So she's a good tennis player. She's solid. Uh, she's quick. She's very, very, uh, very resilient, very competitive. She gets a lot of balls back. She gets them back deep. Um, you know, but she doesn't have that many weapons. She, you know, she's not a player that should be getting that kind of result against the defending champion. Uh, having said that, that's probably one of the worst matches I've seen her play in a long time, Sloane Stevens. Um, you know, unlike Sam Stozer, who has a very modern forehand, a very uh, compact modern forehand that's produced with very little back take, um, Sloane Stevens has a very elaborate forehand. The, the, the racket head actually comes, you can see it clear on the other side of her head from the profile when she hits her forehand. And as a result, when she's nervous, when she plays someone that can rush her, when she plays someone that can get a lot of balls back, she does tend to make a lot of unforced errors, particularly on the forehand side, which is, you know, which is her strength. Um, and she's never really had a particularly penetrating backhand either. Um, and I think so. I think the two things that I, I find a little bit problematic with her game, the forehand is a little bit elaborate. I'd like to see that stroke a little bit more compact. And her serve is really, really not the weapon that it should be. She is a very athletic, strong girl. She's got a great base, really strong legs. There's no reason why she can't be serving up in the, you know, 110, 115 range, you know, physically speaking. She has the tools. But she just has a really uh, disjointed kind of kinetic sequence on her serve. And as a result, she doesn't really get a lot of help from her serve. So she has to, unlike, you know, some of her contemporaries like Lizicki or the Williams sisters, she's got to earn every single point. And tonight she was not earning those points. She, she really was making a lot of rest. I, I think she was nervous. I think she was also maybe a little irritated that she was on grandstand two mm-hmm. as the defending champion. Um, she just did not look really comfortable. And I, I think she has, I think she also needs a coach that's going to look at her game technically. Um, because she, she the players are now starting to expose some of those technical limitations that she has. And I, I just don't think it's a mental thing with her. I think, I think it's technical. Yeah. And yeah, I really enjoy how you point out um, the technical aspects of the game. Cause obviously, you know, this podcast is, you know, more geared toward uh, just helping tennis players, uh, you know, improve their game and ter- their technique and strategy and things like that. And so you mentioned a couple of times the uh, benefit of a compact technique. And so we heard you mention that with uh, TFO, uh, how, right. you know, he has a compact stroke and then how Steven should have one. And right. interesting also because I talked to, Ala Kudretseva, I yes. hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, that was perfect, actually. <laughs> thank you. I, I actually asked her to help me before I interviewed her. Um, and you know, uh, you know, don't uh, not don't knock this advice just because she lost a stoser. But she, when I asked her for uh, her best tip, she said, "You know, keep things simple. I have, you know, I have my my strokes are compact, and it's right. just um, easier. And uh, you know, I took lessons from uh, a guy." Um, uh, coach Hong, who, uh, he, so he coached the Chinese national team and used to coach Lina a little bit. And, you know, one of the first things he noticed with me was just my, 
Uh, Backswing was a bit too, uh, again, elaborate or uh, right. large for his liking. And so the first thing he did was uh, to, to try to have me work on just having it more compact. And right. it really helps because with the speed of today's game, when these guys are crushing the ball at you, um, you, you need a compact stroke. I mean, right. it really helps out unless you're a ridiculous athlete like Monfils or something. Um, so it just, you know, a great point that you made right. uh, with those players. Yeah. I mean, I think the revolution really came from probably the Spanish players sort of in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. They, the Spanish players really put an emphasis on two things, fitness, you know, just being, you know, continually training to get their heart rate up to a certain rate for a certain period of time. You almost never see Spanish players getting tired. Uh, and the other thing that they're all about is racket head speed. And they were one of the first players to start using tweener rackets, professional players using tweener rackets that were you know, but anywhere between 10 and 11 ounces, whereas, you know, most professionals are using rackets 11 ounces plus. Mm -hmm. Actually, 11 ounces is kind of light for a pro. But, um, and, and they're all about the racket head speed. And the other, the thing that that modern forehand does is it really gives you, it, it allows you to use the torque and the strength in your core to literally force the racket head to catch up with your hands through the point of contact. That gives you power an enormous amount of spin on the ball. And that's, that's really important in the modern game too. And if you look, the players that are able to consistently do that on the women's side, you know, there are players who you wouldn't think would have the ability to stay in the rallies with some of the more powerful players in the game. Christina McHale has a very compact stroke. Um, you know, Sam Stozer, I mean, Sam Stozer is a, you know, sort of a supreme athlete, but she has a very compact stroke production. And I, I really think that there are quite a lot of players who, they're professional, but they still could use some, you know, some tweaking in that in that regard. Yeah, no, great points there, Malumba. And uh, one thing, uh, well, I guess let's, yeah. So let's talk about, um, you know, the depleted field. I mean, yes. it's still like some elite players, obviously, but you know, we had the unfortunate withdrawals of Del Potro yeah. and then Burdich yeah. and uh, just a slew of other players. Yeah. Um, actually, who are you mo most disappointed uh, in uh, withdrawing? Uh, which player did you most want to see that withdrew? Well, I think you hit on the two ones that I was really, you know, that I was really looking forward to seeing. I mean, Del Potro, he's had a really tough time the last couple of years, and um, you know, it, it was kind of sad to see him slicing all those backhands at Wimbledon this, Wimbledon this year. Right. But at the same time, I love the fact that the man is willing to do whatever it takes yep. to be competitive. You know, he's not just going to you know, accept that he's having trouble with his two-handed backhand, you know, because of his wrist, um, his, his his good wrist now, which is, I guess, is the left wrist. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was hoping to see him play here. I mean, you know, he's he's very impressive, the, you know, the way he the way he hits his forehand. Surprisingly, also, he has a very modern forehand. You know, it, it looks like a big stroke, but it's it's actually quite a compact stroke. And the power he generates from it is just, it's amazing. So I was hoping to see him play and Burdich, too. Burdich is another guy who, you know, just as, as far as pure ball striking is concerned, there aren't that many players in the world that can match him stroke for stroke. Um, it's one of the reasons why he's had such a good record. Well, you know, relatively good record against some of the better players in the world is because he's just able to blow them off the court with power. Mm -hmm. um, he's not necessarily the biggest player or the strongest player, but his technique combined with the, the leverage from his legs and from his height, uh, I, I love watching him play. So I was disappointed to see him uh, pull out of the draw. 
Frankly, I was surprised that the, some of the Americans didn't pull out of the draw either. I'm, I'm surprised Isner's still in the draw in sock after that debacle in uh, in Oregon in the Davis Cup. Oh, so, boy. yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of. Uh, I'm, but I'm glad they honored their commitments. I hope they're not going to burn out before the U.S. Open. But um, but you know, I, I was disappointed not to have uh, British and 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 uh, Del Potro in the draw. Del Potro, one of the only three-time winners of the City Open. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a great guy. Just like uh, unbelievably nice, and um, just reminds me also of a Baker, and that they both just uh, trying to come back from from a lot of injuries. Yeah, um, and yeah, just uh, I guess to quickly mention the Davis Cup for those who didn't watch. I mean, uh, USA was up two zero against Croatia, and then we <laughs> we lost three two. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened there. I mean, what, what do you think about uh, the debacle? Why did we lose? <laughs> um, I think it started with the uh, injury to one of the Bryan brothers. I'm not sure which one. I, I, a funny story. I was sitting today in the press room next to Wayne Bryan, mm-hmm. but he looked really busy, and I know he goes on the court, so I didn't want to bother him. But I was going to ask him which one of his sons is the one who had that injury. He has a slight, I think it was, a, I want to say, a wrist injury. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully it's not too serious, but I think that was the beginning because the Bryans are usually like money in the Davis Cup, especially those guys, they might be the best Davis Cup pairing in the history of U.S. Davis Cup, uh, as far as doubles is concerned. Um, and they're usually like, like clockwork. They, they should have had that wrapped up on, 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 on Saturday, but you know, with Chilich coming and playing the, the, the fourth rubber, and uh, really doing a number on Isner there. Um, I think there was too much pressure on Jack Sock, who normally is he has a quite a good matchup with Borna Cioric, uh, because you know he's he's played him in the past and he's sort of he really blew him off the court. And I think at uh, uh, Roland Garros last year, I mean he really really took care of him. And I was thinking it was going to be more of the same, but I think he just wilted under the pressure. And I think, you know, one match after another, after another, you know, when you think you're, you're going to get Sunday off and all of a sudden Saturday yeah. you haven't closed it. And then Isner, you know, is playing one of the best players in the world, the Marin Cilic. I think that buildup just, you know, kind of, it, 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 it just got to sock because he did not play well at all. Um, and, and I think George was kind of ready for it. You know, when, when you have a game where, you know, George is, is his natural game is to kind of, receive uh, absorb pressure he is a player that absorbs pressure and a player who absorbs pressure typically handles tight situations a lot better than the aggressive player than the than the player who's provoking his opponent because that requires timing that requires movement that requires sort of everything has to come together the player who absorbs pressure typically is much better at handling high pressure situations and i think chorich was you know, the combination of his game and the situation, it was perfect for him. Yeah, no, definitely agreed with that analysis, Malumba. And um, so, yeah, and then let's uh, talk a bit about uh, about Burdich. Um, I guess, he, you know, he was nice enough to hold a press conference, even though yep. he withdrew, which actually confused a lot of the press. Um, yeah. They were asking, like, oh, uh, he's playing, you know? What's, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, even I was confused, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was watching. I was watching the uh, the Baker Groff match when that message came through that um, that he was going to do a press conference. I thought, you know, I thought it was an email that somehow had popped up from last year or something. I was, <laughs> this has got to be wrong. Uh, and then I saw Molly, and she said, "Nope, he's coming." 
Uh, I actually skipped the press conference because I wanted to watch the match with Dimitrov and uh, Evans. So I actually missed it. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's really it's really big of him to come and do the press conference. Where, did you were you in that press conference or? I was. Yes, yes, I was. Um, how, I, how was? It was pretty good. You know, we taped it. He seemed very relaxed, very nice. Um, the focus of the conversation was just on uh, really mainly Davis. Uh, I'm sorry, the Olympics. Uh, right. How he, you know, he withdrew uh, fr- from the Olympics uh, team. And uh, it's just because, you know, he, he said that he doesn't want to, however small the risk is, he doesn't want, you know, one week or, you know, like a small period of time in his life to cripple him uh, possibly right. with the Zika virus. Right. And, you know, he said it was a personal decision and, um, you know, I have to have to respect it. I know where he's coming from. I'm quite risk averse myself and I would probably be <laughs> paranoid to go into brazil with a ton of mosquitoes and stuff like that um yeah and then just he he talked a bit about his fatigue uh i guess that was the reason why he withdrew and he just said you know i'm not going through any special treatments for it but it's just a situation where he knew he couldn't give a hundred percent and he didn't think it would be fair to the fans uh to come in here and just you know half a it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so yeah i mean that was pretty much it but he seemed very relaxed and nice and it's interesting uh how nice he's become because i don't know i just for some reason got the perception of him being a a bad boy just because of that that one match against nadal um a long time ago where they bumped into each other yeah you know (laughs) I, I, I've always felt bad about that because, yeah. you know, again, that, that's another guy whose story is really fascinating. Um, you know, he, he, he's, he's not a guy who's had it easy. Um, he's had to work very, very hard. He supports his entire family through his tennis. He got them out of a very tough situation in the Czech Republic, uh, growing up really just after the, uh, um, you know, just after the fall of the, the Iron Curtain, so to speak. So it, it, it was not an easy way out for him. And he has he 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 really uh, has been sort of a model professional when you think about it. I mean, he, this is a guy who's been to all four major semifinals. He's played uh, uh, a Wimbledon final in, tw- in 2010. Mm-hmm. He has a Master Shield in Paris at Bercy. So this this is not a guy who is uh, you know this is a guy who's just sort of done everything right and it's just never happened for him at the biggest tournaments. But I always felt he got a bad rap because of that little that little monkey business with Nadal in Madrid ten years ago, um, and he's also sort of gotten into it with Murray. I, I think Burdich is a guy who doesn't suffer fools. He's a very straightforward kind of guy, and you know tennis is. There is a bit of a hierarchy, right, where players are have a tendency to defer to the top guys, and I don't think Burdich sees it that way. I think he sees himself as, you know, deserving every bit of respect and uh, and admiration as anybody else. Certainly, a player of his caliber, and he doesn't defer to the top guys, and I think that does rub them the wrong way from time to time. Um, plus, there was that little monkey business with the the guy Danny Valverde, who used to be with Andy Murray, and then he switched over to Thomas Burdich right before the Australian Open, and then they made that big uh, hullabaloo, and then <laughs> Murray's girlfriend got caught cursing him out on camera. And then, <laughs> I mean, it was just you know, it's like as the world turns here in Australia. But um, so I think I've always felt he's gotten a bad rap. I think he's a a, a terrific guy. 
Um, I would point out that when Andy, a couple, uh, three years ago, Andy Murray asked Burdich to stick around after losing the final, or the, excuse me, the semifinal at Queens Club to mm. play a benefit match for his friend, uh, whose name escapes me, but I'm going to remember in a second, who was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma. Ah. So, um, and he did that, you know, just, just, just to be a nice guy. He could have taken off and gone and done his preparation for Wimbledon, but he stuck around and he did it. And I, and I think that's the kind of person he is. And I, and I, and I'm, I, it, it, it does not surprise me that he came here to do the press conference after all that. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, the impression I'm getting now is just he's he's a good dude. And, um, yeah, he also mentioned, because somebody asked him uh, in the uh, press conference that, uh, you know, did you get any sort of, like, uh, backlash for not choosing to play in the Olympics or whatnot? And he, he said, oh, no, you just said, uh, you, you know, just so you know that I've, I've been the type of guy who's always looked forward to playing for my team and, you know, way back since, you know, 14, 16s and 18s uh, nationals events and things like that. And so I just wanted to point that out uh, to the guy. But yeah, um, yeah so but uh, I just want to ask you, too, you know, what what uh, who do you think on the men's and women's side are going to take the title at the city open? Yes, at the city open. I mean, you know. Initially, my thought was, you know, Isner is a really strong candidate because he always plays well here. The center court is very fast, uh, which helps him under serve. And I, I thought, you know, he, he, he's a good bet to go deep here. Right. I think if Zverev can get by Taylor Fritz, you know, there's some history there. They were junior rivals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes that can play on a guy like the whole thing with Federer and Nabandian, if you remember – you know, when Federer was beaten up on everybody in the world, the one guy that he was having trouble with, aside from Nadal, was Nalbandian. And part of that was because Nalbandian knew his game inside and out from the juniors. Mm-hmm. So I think if Zverev can get by Fritz in the next round, I think he has a good shot. Uh, that that young man, I think, has the potential to be one of the best players in the world. Um, not that he isn't already. But I watched him practice against Monfils on Friday. And I'm telling you, as I was in, in my mind, I was doing a count uh, just as far as the rhythm is concerned. I was counting two counts for Zverev's shots to get to Monfils and three counts for Monfils's shots to get to Zverev. This was over and over and over again. And he, is a, he, he has what Justin Gimmelstab likes to call liquid power. He makes it look easy. And before you know it, the ball is past you. He, uh, he had another practice set against uh, Steve Johnson. You know, Steve Johnson is no slouch. Right. He was another dark horse of mine, by the way. Um, he's been having a good season. Um, I think uh, he was pushing him around, too. And wow. Johnson is no joke. You know, Johnson is a guy who will run everything down. He's got a monster serve. He can hit his forehand really hard. Zverev was pushing him around, too. This kid really has, uh, I think, a shot to be really, really good. But I think his window is going to close, too, because he's a very tall guy. He's going to put on weight as he gets older, and his movement is going to be compromised. So his best bet might be over the next, like, two or three years. And if he can win here, like Del Potro did in 2008, it will give him an enormous confidence going to the U.S. Open. And a year later, Del Potro repeated in the City Open and then won the U.S. Open uh, for his only major title. Another guy who's six foot six, hits like a ton of bricks, makes it look easy. 
So I think I think uh, Zverev is another guy that I I, I like Zverev, but he's got to get past Fritz because that could be a tricky match. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I think I think Zverev's a great pick. Um, very talented. He defeated Roger Federer um, a couple months ago, I think, yep. uh, on grass. And uh, funny story with him, which I might have mentioned to you, is. Uh, last year, I was just extremely lucky to get to yes. interview him one on one. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, the, the, one of the media, uh, uh, the people who, uh, run the media, uh, tent, they, they said, Hey, anybody for Zverev? And it seemed like everybody was just typing away and no one really looked up. So I raised my hand. I was like, Yes, yes, me. And then, you know, he went up there, uh, to the mix zone area. Yeah. And then Zverev came out and there were only two of us. And he's like, That's it. <laughs> And I was like, yep, that's it. So, um, you know, it's good talking with him. And, uh, yeah, just a uh, great, great, uh, player, very talented. Uh, Isner would be really cool to see him win just because he is, he's reached what, two or three finals at the city open and lost? He it- has reached, I think it's two. I know 2007 to Roddick, and I know last year to, uh, to, uh, Nishikori. I don't know if he, and I don't, I'm not sure if he, I don't believe he has been since. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, um, uh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. And, uh, let's see, as for the women, gosh, I don't know. I'm going to go with either Stozer or maybe Wozniacki. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, you, you're 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 going to be fifty fifty on that because one of them is going to go out in the next round. But, oh yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I I would say Stozer. I look, I love Sam Stozer, right? I think I like almost everything about her, but she is a little bit frail when it comes to tight situations. Um, you know, right. last year I thought she was going to beat Sloane Stevens. I thought she had a better of her, and she kind of got shaky towards the end there, which is not uncommon for her. So, I mean, if she can get past Wozniacki, you know, there's a possibility there. I think Lizicki is a good is a good bet, too, because she can quietly go through the draw without anybody noticing, bombing serves, and before you know it, she's in a, you know, in the semifinal playing against somebody who's tired and, um, you know, hasn't seen a serve that fast because there just aren't that many serves that fast on the women's side. And she looks to be pretty solid as well. The other one who I would say is, again, this is a bit of a coin toss, but she, I think she won, um, I want to say she won New Haven last year, is Camila Georgie, yep. who's, who's another player who, uh, you know, she, uh, this is another, she, she's another player who hits like a ton of bricks. She looks like what I'm, if you've ever read Last of the Mohicans, you know how they describe Hawkeye as being very um, sinewy, strong and sinewy. That's 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 exactly what this young lady looks like. She's not very tall. She's not that muscular, but she she's very very wiry. She's got like fast twitch muscles, and she's able to. She also has a very modern forehand, a very compact forehand. Of course, you know she doesn't have a lot of variety. She doesn't have uh, you know a second gear, so to speak. But if she can get hot, she's another player who can just blow through the field. There aren't that many players that have the variety and the staying power to catch up with her, you know, to stay with her if she's hot. And she seemed to have a pretty good, a good time of it today against um, against uh, Jeannie Bouchard. So I, I say those three w- would be my picks. Uh, great picks. Um, yeah, just uh, great analysis, Malumba. And you know, if you if you Google tennis column 
Uh, Malumba's blog is the first one to come up, and uh, Google doesn't play around. They award uh, great content and um, just very insightful articles. Uh, really enjoy reading uh, Malumba's stuff. And so you can also uh, just go to tennis-column.blogspot.com. Um, yes. to see Malumba's, uh, articles. And, um, uh, Malumba, you know, I know it's now it's 12.34 a.m. We're still doing it, but, um, I hadn't even noticed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you love, love talking tennis. Uh, just, uh, really just, do. just amazing stuff from you. And, uh, I just want to ask you any other, uh, floating thoughts in your mind about the tournament? Um, just, to, just, to, if you get a chance, thanks for pointing people out to the, uh, to the, uh, to the blog. If you get a chance that do have a little bit in there about John Harris, who is a forgotten co-founder of the tournament, you know, Donald Dell gets a lot of deservedly a lot of attention, but there's a, a blurb on there about a great conversation I had with John Harris, a co-founder of the city open. And in a strange way, he had no idea that this man is kind of one of the reasons why I, ha- you know, have this sort of this passion for the game of tennis and uh, I just happened to run into him and talk to him for about 30 minutes. So if you get a chance to have a look at that, I, uh, that's that's a piece that uh, I'm, I'm a little blurb that I'm I'm, I, I'm I'm proud of. Well, that's fantastic. You know, I, I wrote down your pieces for the uh, preview of the draw analysis, uh, the return of the mesomorph and <laughs> John, John Harris. So I'm going to uh, link all those in the episode um, show notes, which you can find at tennisfiles.com slash 25 for episode 25. Uh, Malumba, I just want to thank you again. It's really a pleasure to to see you as well, uh, you know, for the next few days. Yeah. And uh, we should definitely, you know, hang out sometime sooner than, than a year after this. Um, also, uh, social accounts, right? You have Twitter as well. Yes, I do. It's uh, MMT. I, I I forgot my own handle. I think it's MMT Senior. It might be. But, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, let's I, make sure that it's it's it, sorry. It's at MMT underscore nineteen seventy four. Boom! There we go. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, any other uh, you know contacts or socials you want to you know that you have? Or, or those what... those are the two uh, ones I want to give out. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes private man <laughs> um well malumba my man thank you so much uh this was just again like amazing analysis uh, i don't know how you do it i don't know how you know so much information on every single player it seems um but you know great analysis and i hope that we can do this at least one more time uh for the tournament um, Anytime. Hope, yeah appreciate it hopefully it'll be you know before midnight <laughs> yeah <laughs> anytime maybe well, there you have it, my friends. There is an episode for you that we recorded at 11.30 and finished around 12.30. And uh, just, you know, worked on it at night. I just needed to bring it to you guys. Uh, I don't want to record and then, um, you know, an episode about the uh, uh, up to day two and then bring the content out for you when the tournament's over. So um, time to you know, publish this and put it out there. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, as I said, I hope that um, the a couple of the minor uh, glitches didn't bother you or anything like that. I um, always appreciate uh, you guys listening in and, and reading all my materials uh, and content on TennisFiles.com and listening to the podcast. Um, if you guys enjoy the show, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast on iTunes or whatever 
you uh, you know, whatever app you use to listen to this show. And um, yeah, I just want you guys to keep improving your game. And if you are at the City Open at all, please send me an email or, uh, you know, come find me. I'll, I'll either be in a white polo shirt or a uh, yellow tennis fall shirt. Actually, both those shirts have tennis falls on it. Um, so I usually be wearing that um, unless I forget to put it on after work and I use my uh, just a business dress shirt or whatever. Um, it'd be a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, wish you all the best. Have a great week. Uh, keep improving your game and I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.